0: This work. Okay. Now I know how this works. So today, uh, looking at uh, this is a final presentation, and we we had such rich presentation from all our speaker. I think we were very lucky that they accepted to come and that they presented in such beautiful way. So, in a way, uh, John and Akinchano really uh, covered really the basic ground in a very beautiful way. So I won't cover some of that ground because it's been done so beautifully already. And then we explore with the scientists I thought that was beautiful what they brought to this uh, symposium. And so in a way, me, what, what am I bringing to this thing? Is uh, My paper is really about a practical and contemporary meditative exploration of the Vedana, of the feeling tone. So I think in a way, personally, what I am looking at is kind of like How can it be useful in meditation? How can it be useful in daily life? And also, how can mindfulness of the feeling tone and our creative engagement with them make a difference to how we cause harm harm to ourselves or to others? So, I think for the last presentation, we might just for fun, come back to the basics. And so we come back to that text, where the Buddha says, in one way, O monks, I have spoken of two kinds of feeling, in other way, three, five, six, 18, 36, and 108 feeling tones. So in a way, personally, I see this as an invitation to explore. I had a funny encounter yesterday. I won't say with who. But somebody was, he's a great, great, great teacher. And that person said, Vedana? Everybody is talking about Vedana. What's going on? What's the point? And I said, that's the point that you're saying that. Why should we care? I think we should care (laughs) because it's permeating everything, a lot. I mean, I know I might have a little of a bias. You know, like somebody discovers something, and then that person sees that everywhere? That's me. (laughs) We're feeling torn. I see them everywhere, influencing a lot of different things. So the Buddha, what are the two feelings? It was brilliantly talked about by uh, Akinchano, bodily and mental. The three, pleasant, painful, neither painful nor pleasant. Then you have the five, which unfortunately we did not have the time to look at in depth. And then it's a faculty of pleasure, pain, gladness, sadness, and equanimity. Interesting, these five. This would be a symposium in itself. What are the six feelings? That we've talked a lot about. The feelings born of sense impressions through the eyes, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mind. Then you have the 18 feelings. What are they? Six feelings by which there is an approach to the object in gladness. Six approaches in sadness. Six approaches in equanimity. That's interesting to explore. Lots of possibility. Then what are the 36 feelings? Six feeling of gladness based on the household life and six based on renunciation. Six feeling of sadness based on the household life, six based on renunciation six feeling of equanimity based on the hours or life and six based on renunciation. That again lots of exploration, lots of possibility. So to me in a way in terms of applied, to me the feeling tone are all about applying mindfulness to all these fields of exploration around them. And so, of course, the 108, the Buddha being go- a good mathematician, he multipl- add all these together and you get 108, which you might think, hmm, this is a number they used everywhere. So you might have, you know, you know, like we do, we put things together, so it's kind of... A so I'm not going to look at terminology very much, since, again, Chano covered it so well, and John Peacock, and... Also, uh, Anne, but just let's go back a little bit to the point: this famous vedana and the root. And so, Rice Davis and Steed, telling us that the root of vedana is vediti. They explain that the root of vediti is vid, which means to know or to feel. That is to sense. And so they point out that the f- the meaning can be twofold: either intellectually to know as Veda, or with reference to general feeling to experience, Vedana. So in a way, this, this is tricky, because feeling tone, of course, it's not, it's not kind of like a good definition. I totally agree. But in a way, we have to say something in order to kind of point towards something. And so it's something to do with something we, we can know, with something we can experience. So something which will have an impact on us. So in a way my uh, preferred, or my, subject, my one of the definition uh, one could have of Vedana would be, the pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral tonality of experience that arises upon contact through the six senses with one's outer or inner environment. And again, Akin Chano talked about that very beautifully. So why do I like tones? The reason I like tone is because to me the feeling tones, so I'm more interested in a way the tonality than saying feeling, but you say feeling, you say sensation, both, have little, it's a little tricky. But what if we say tonality of experience? There is a tonality to experience. I mean, to me, this is what I find wonderful. is colors. I mean, as far as I know, colors have not done anything to you. No? <laughs> so you have blue, You see somebody wearing blue, hmm, I like it. Then you look at the wall. You look at the blue, you look at the wall, you have a different tonality of experience. And adjust with color. And so you might think, oh, blue, blue is good. I mean, some people say, blue, I hate blue. But where does it come from? And to me, this is what is so interesting with uh, tonality of experience, is that we can see conditionality really like playing a big part in it. So that's what I think is, again, a wonderful possibility of exploration. So the way, in terms of kind of like modern application in this now, I would see uh, the tonality of experience in terms of a continuum. So you start, you have the contact, everybody has talked beautifully about that, then you have that tonality which comes upon the contact, then generally this quickly becomes like a feeling sensation. Then often it morphs into a kind of a more complex emotion, we can then turn into what I would call a disturbing emotion. But a lot of the time, we become aware, as uh, John P. Gong pointing out, when we've got the disturbing emotion, we think, Wait, wow, 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 this is going on. And to me, the beauty of the mindfulness of tonality of experience is that we might be able to see it more at the beginning, and then it might not become so disturbing. Of course, it can become disturbing because, according to condition, etc. But I think we have much more potential if we start at the beginning than if we are at the end of the process. Then, we have another interesting thing, for me, for the feeling tone is the fact that through the senses, through the contact with the senses, at any given moment, you could have six different tonality. But then what happened? You have six different tonality, You might see something beautiful, you might be very cold, something might be neutral, so you can have, in a way, many different tonality at the same moment. But then often what happens is that suddenly they can coalesce. And then suddenly if you have kind of like a contact is a little stronger, then let's say you get a very pleasant tonality and then everything becomes pleasant or suddenly there is one contact which becomes unpleasant and then suddenly everything is unpleasant and so in a way you know you know how it is when your friend you know comes and says look it's a beautiful day let's go out and you say no <laughs> <laughs> You no know, it could be a beautiful day but you are not experiencing that pleasant tonality because suddenly it's kind of like and to me that's what is interesting in terms of the mindfulness to see that when we grasp at something we actually by grasping at it we limit ourselves to it and then we magnify it so then it covers everything And so you could say that for me, the practice is about a de-grasping process, a de-magnifying process, a de-amplifying process. And I think that's what is so important in terms of the tonality, when there is that kind of, when one covers all other. Then, personally, what I really am interested in, in terms of applied mindfulness, and what I play with a lot in, uh, when I teach it on retreat, or for myself too, uh, is the impermanence of it. To me, that is fascinating. You hear a sound, you not know, in the morning, we hear the tweet, 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 so the sound goes. Does the tonality goes with it, or does it continue? That's a big question. Or, there is an interesting thing with time. That's something I kind of suggest for people to do. You look at three different things. The first time I did it was I was uh, in Mexico teaching. And so I was in a house, and it was I could do that. So one second, I look at the toilet, one second, I look at myself in the mirror, one second, I look at the flower. Then. 10-second toilet, 10-second mirror, 10-second flower. Then 30 seconds. What happens? When the thing is brief, what's the tonality? When you stay with the thing itself, what happens to the tonality? Does it become bigger? Does it become less? Again, we have a whole kind of area of exploration there. So then, what I like to look a little bit is at uh, the different feeling tonalities. So, I mean, we've all heard about pleasant feeling tone, we generally, but what is interesting is, how does it happen? What what interests me is not kind of like, uh, in the text, it says this. What interests me is, how does it happen, and what does it What does it make us do? We have a great weekend with friends. They leave at the door, and you say, let's do this again. Which means you are basically saying, let's recreate the same conditions to have exactly the same pleasant feeling tone. I mean, you might have different pleasant tonality, but you will not generally get exactly the same one. Another thing which I like to play with is tonality of taste, especially pleasant tonality of taste. And so in Vienna, uh, two years ago, I had a fantastic experience. And so they have uh, this wonderful mushroom I like, you know, so plate of wonderful uh, chanterelle, and each I have, oh, <coughs> wonderful, wonderful, oh. <coughs> So. You could say, pleasant feeling tone, number eight. So I go out of the restaurant, and then I think about the fact that I ate this chanterelle, and they were fantastic. So the tonality was still from eight, it went down to six or seven. So then, of course, to check my, uh, kind of what I think about it, I go back to the same restaurant, same time, same plate, of uh, chanterelle and Akinchano alluded to it in passing the other day. I eat the (laughs) chanterelle, and the tonality goes down to six. And then I go out of the restaurant, and the tonality of the memory goes down to five. So then what is interesting is the tonality of newness. And that you have to be careful also with meditation. When you start to have meditation, you do meditation in comparison, you have amazing experience, but in comparison to how you felt before. Then the more it becomes ordinary to be clear, to be bright, to be kind, then the less you will have that intensity. So that's another thing interesting to look at. And then that I think in a way again it could be kind of like we could really look at that in terms of you sit in meditation. To me one of the, why I'm so kind of partly into the mindfulness of Vedana is the effect even I saw on my seniors. Like, you know, we are months five, and months four, I told them, I know it's very early for people who don't know anything about it and are not really interested in meditation. And so, nevertheless, I uh, taught them the mindfulness of Vedana. And so, the first day, we have done three months of meditation. We do the mindfulness of listening, mindfulness. Of the Vedana, of the breath, of listening, of the body. And we do that for 25 minutes. And at the end of it, they're all like, like, because normally there is a pause. And I said, Oh, you can go for your pause And they were. And to me, what is interesting in terms of the meditation is that it's not, I, I, I don't teach, like, you know, to name it. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, I don't teach to calibrate it. What interests me is that you go inside a level of your experience which seems to make you more here in a non-grasping way. And so that's why I think at the level of meditation it's interesting because one person in the group said, wow, it's the first time I had no distracted thought. Just by trying to be aware of that, tonality of experience. Then you have the tonality of the contact through the senses, but then you also have the tonality of the sati. And so I think that sometime one, and I'm sure we could uh, discuss this with Anna-Layu uh, and because here I'm just talking from my experience, but to me, sometime, we can look just at the contact, and sometimes we can be mindful of the tonality of being mindful in a caring and careful way, and that seems to have a different quality. So personally, I would suggest, but I can be, we can discuss this, that actually Samasati has a special quality. And I know there is a debate, in terms of Stephen and John, Stephen Batchelor, my husband, and John Peacock, our first speaker, uh, we often talk about this. Is Sati just kind of like neutral, and Sama uh, makes it caring, careful, and all the good attribute? Or is Sati having all the good quality, like it is said in one of the Abhidharma? So that's, I think, is kind of a little of the debate, of course. Personally, at the level of our experience, as uh, Paul Grossman so beautifully brought it, the sati is this kind of, is caring and careful. It has a special quality, and so it has a special tonality. And I wonder if often we make, if I may say so, mindfulness to cognitive and possibly don't pay enough attention to its Vedana aspect. That actually, if you are aware in a benevolent way and you experience what I would call this renunciation type, feeling tone, maybe it does something to the organism. And that might be why a lot of people find it helpful at the same time as, of course, there is a whole cognitive aspect, of course. A final thing I'd like to say about pleasant feeling tone, pleasant tonality that is interesting to look at in terms of modern life working with people, is generally, it seems to me, if we think in terms of baseline, and that's where later I'll go with the neutral, in terms of baseline. If we think the neutral imaginary construct or reality, we can discuss that. But if you think of neutral as a baseline, and then you would have 10 possibility of going zero to 10, pleasant, zero to minus 10, unpleasant. But what is our imaginary baseline? A lot of the time, our imaginary baseline is plus five. Which means we only become really aware of pleasant feeling tone when they are plus five. And so what I would suggest is that if we cultivate mindfulness of the feeling tone, and also if we were to cultivate mudita, which is appreciative joy, altruistic joy, then we are more aware of a greater range of uh, pleasant tonality. So then there is an unpleasant feeling tone, and already we've talked about how we react stronger, faster to unpleasant than to pleasant. Then we've talked about also about the second arrow, so you have the unpleasant feeling tone, then you have, if you grasp at it, you magnify it, you amplify it. But personally, uh, what interests me with unpleasant feeling tone is the fact that we have a greater quickness of association. That you have an unpleasant feeling tone generally because of a certain contact now. So something is happening, and you experience an unpleasant tonality but generally we quickly go into associating it with many other unpleasant tonality in the past and in the future. And so then we're not with the actual one, we are with the magnified imagine one. And to me this is a very interesting to look at how you have this so quick association which you have much less with the pleasant feeling tone. It seems that, in a way, if we are mindful of pleasant feeling tone and don't grasp at them, you have much less this kind of, oh, this, of course sometimes this reminds me when I was this is that, but generally you don't have so quickly that. And so I think with the unpleasant feeling tone is, kind of, how does it, how can we not kind of creatively engage with it where it is? and not is that associative factor. Then I mean, a lot of people have talked about pain, Paul has talked about pain, so I won't really go in that. And then, so in a way, unpleasant feeling tone, you could nearly say <laughs> uh, that what is interesting with different traditions, is that different tradition, I suddenly realized over the course of this conference, and it's, I can't really say it in so well in uh, English, but in French, that some, tra- uh, some tradition, carbure, or pleasant feeling tone, other carbure of unpleasant, what it means is that one is fueled, is more based, is more toward unpleasant feeling tone, another more working with, Pleasant feeling tone, etc. I became kind of very aware of that. And so this is interesting. Where do we put the focus when we teach? On the unpleasant feeling tone? On the pleasant feeling tone? That I found very interesting. Uh, but we can also talk more about that. Then we have the famous non existent neutral feeling tone. And I'm a great fan of neutral feeling tone, I'm really a fan. <laughs> and of course, my husband, Stephen Batchelor, and I teach with him retreats, he thinks they don't exist. So it, let's say he's kind of more in Akinshano line, who thinks that it moves to the pleasant and unpleasant, so why bother, it doesn't exist. Which why not, why not? But to me, what is interesting with the, with the neutral is that actually it has different angle. At one level, of course, it doesn't exist because it can move fast. At another level, it's indeterminate, indeterminate because it's so amorphous. But why am I so interested in it? It's because it took me ages to be mindful of the Vedana because well, I was sitting in meditation, I remember, because we, we kind of, uh, the, uh, the forest refuge, the IMS asked us many years ago, before they inaugurated the forest refuge, that uh, we would try it out. And so I remember sitting in meditation in the forest refuge, and there was Joseph Goldstein, there was Christina Feldman, you had all the tops there, you know, and I was sitting there, yeah, yeah, Vedana, wow. Where are they? Where are they? You know, and I could not find anything. I was like, <laughs> where are they? Where are they? Until I realized I was actually being aware of neutral. And I realized actually a lot of my experience is neutral. And there is no problem with that. But yeah, this is I'm not a fan of the romantics. I'm little because the romantics are not into the neutral. (laughs) And this is a recent thing, this is a recent thing. Because in a way, you know, boredom appeared in 1760. Uh, Before that, I'm sure the Greek had a little bit of it and they talked about it, I have read some books, but. But to me, this is interesting with the romantics, you know. They tell us, you know, you must feel intensely. So if you cannot feel intensely good, at least you can feel intensely bad. <laughs> and then you have all this myth of the artist as a tortured soul, and out of which creativity comes. But anyway, this is a little by the by. <laughs> so, why am I keen in, in the neutral feeling tone? First, because of the baseline, because I think if we kind of uh, look at the neutral, then we can see you go up, you go down, you have a greater range, and this was very interesting. I was in Italy. I know when you tell little story it's a bit anecdotal. You have to be. I'm, I'm working with scientists at the moment so I know all about correlation and causation, so I'm going to be anecdotal. But what was very interesting was that I was talking about, you know, like uh, generally you notice plus five, and underneath you don't notice it, and then suddenly this lady said, oh. So then you just have to go back to neutral, because that's what I was saying. If you go down, minus five, You don't have to go back to plus five. You just have to go back to neutral. You say, wow, that's much easier. So I think in a way, it's also interesting in terms of when we go down into the neutral, to the unpleasant feeling tone, if we want to move out of them, what are we thinking? Are we moving, trying to move back to plus five? Or can we just go back to the baseline? Could we also see the baseline of neutral as restful? The organism cannot always be in intensity. So it goes up, it goes down, it is stimulated, what the scientists have uh, showed us. But it also has to have this kind of like resting state. And so, in a way, with neutral, of course, it can seem a little. Pleasant if it's seen as restful. But can we notice neutral first, oh, nothing is happening. Nothing bad is happening, it's already something. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, it's restful. I don't need to do anything to make it more intense or whatever. So then just a little bit, uh, here, this is very recent, me uh, kind of uh, going and thinking about this household uh, kind of influenced Vedana and uh, renunciation Vedana. This is very recent that I really became interested in that. Because when I first read it from the bhikkhu body, from the little booklet on the Eightfold Path, and I read worldly feeling tone, and worldly feeling tone, woo, this is weird. So I put it aside. But then, as I was uh, looking at different things in the text, I thought maybe there is a point, maybe in a way there is a point in terms of, you could say you have afflictive, Vedana, which have the underlying tendency, kind of triggered, or you can experience vedana in a non-afflictive way, and so I find it so interesting because the problem with neutral is people seems to think that the some people seems to think some of the time that the aim of meditation could be that everything becomes neutral. But that's not the idea whatsoever. Oh, this is my point of view, I don't know. Some people could have that idea. So what I found interesting is that in a way when the Buddha talks about equanimity in terms of the feeling torn, in a way the ordinary uh, equanimity is like, this does not bother me. But then the renunciation, the equanimity based on renunciation, as I mentioned the other day, is when with proper wisdom, you see the impermanence, you see the unsatisfactoriness, and you see the not-self of it. So in a way, there is this beautiful phrase, and I know generally it kind of seems to be translated just with things as they are, when actually it's yatam. Nyanya dasana, see and know things as they come to be, as they arise. So personally, I think there is a huge thing to look at in terms of the conditionality, in terms of how the tonality is conditioned by, I mean, Akinshara again talked very beautifully about all the condition that gives right to it from the past, all the conditions that are happening now. And so in a way, we could use, we could see, again, equanimity in a different way. We could see equanimity as is coming from, that, from Vipassana. So we have to be careful of equating equanimity just with the calming, which comes from the Samatha, but also the equanimity coming from that, uh, uh, really, to me personally, this is another talk, uh, I feel that wise compassion arise out of vipassana. If we really understand impermanence, if we really experience suffering, if we really experience no-not-self, then compassion arise. I don't have much time, so uh, I'll just quickly go in terms of, uh, the, I mentioned the Nama factors in my paper, and I, I mentioned the Nama factors because the Nama factors are contact, the feeling tone, perception, intention, and attention. And of course, when, if we choose to talk about Vedana, we in a way taking one out of something which appear all together. So in a way, Nama, Rupa forms a name which are these five constituents They arise together. So we have to see that, of course, perception influence Vedana, feeling tone, tonality, and tonality influence perception. So I think this is something also I think which is fun to explore in daily life. You know, like we—I had a friend who was a monk in Thailand, and he used to go down a street, and there was this uh, little lady who used to give give him, you know, little kind of golden nuggets, and he assumed that they were kind of nuts, and he had a very pleasant feeling tone with them, until he asked what they were and he was told they were fried ends, and then the perception changed the tonality. And so in a way, of course, that's why I think one thing to really look in terms of the Vedana, I think is very useful to also look at the Nama factor and how things come together. So in a way, when we are mindful of the Vedana, then it can also help us to be mindful of the perception, and then we can explore that. And then to finish with I wanted uh, to say something about ethics, why I think Vedana is so important. Mindfulness of the tonality is so important because it seems to me in a way ethics is kind of uh, helping us deal with our reaction to Vedana. So in a way the five precepts I would see as an inj- kind of like a help toward dealing with our Vedanas. And so in a way, as with the old precept, you can look at them in two ways, in terms of restraint and in terms of cultivation. So if we look at you know, refrain from killing, why do we kill? Why do we hurt? Why do we harm? And a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time, is because of uh, unpleasant tonality. We're trying to annihilate the unpleasant tonality. We're trying to make disappear the person or the thing was created within us, the unpleasant tonality. And so... I think where the mindfulness can be so useful, I mean, you can look at it in big term, but you can look it also in small term, in terms of our daily life. So just a little anecdotal story. So Stephen and I are in the car. And, you know, cars, parking, whatever. So you, let, you get a little stressed. And then Stephen says a little something. And I think, woo! so I have unpleasant tonality. And then, of course, I'm tempted to give it back, the unpleasant tonality, you know. Why only me? Why not him too? Uh, (laughs) But that instead, I think, okay, let's see how long is this tonality going to last if I don't do anything with it. And it lasted two red lights. And then it was gone. And so, what is interesting with impermanence, we have to be careful. When it's light, let it go. It will go in its own time. But then, of course, you have certain habitual tonality. So, what do you do with the habitual tonality? Explore the conditions. You don't always feel that tonality but it arises upon certain conditions. What are the conditions? What is the trigger? What is the contributing factor? And then when it's intense, when it's intense, I know, can I be a little provocative? I know that in certain circles we are told it's intense. Go into it. And personally, I would say, what's the point? It's already there, it's so intense. What do you want to go more into it? Unless you can do it in a vipassana way, then of course, it can change. But if it's so there, then we can just be with it because there is nothing else. Or, okay, it's there, but I could focus on something else. And it would still be there, but maybe not in such an intense way. So I think this is also what we have to look at in terms of attention. Attention can be an intensifier, and attention can be create space. And then the wisdom of that, then we have refrained from stealing. Why do we steal? Again, you see an object, hmm, I want it. Or you see somebody else having an object but give you an unpleasant feeling, told, I want to have that. Or inappropriate, harmful sexual behavior, mm. that's very interesting. What's going on here? What's going on here? Lying. Very interesting. You lie because, ooh, if I tell the truth, I mean, you also have like the unpleasant feeling tone of now nah, and also the fear of the future unpleasant feeling tone. And that's what happened with lying. You know, I did not do it. You know? That's interesting. Oh, you could lie because it's so pleasant. Once I spent a whole day with somebody who told me lies non-stop. It's only at the end of the day I realized it and I thought, wow, that's weird. He did not need to do this, but he must do this because it's such pleasant things to say I'm the greatest guy, whatever, whatever, whatever. That was fascinating. Fascinating. Oh. And again, Refrain from intoxicant that can be harmful to yourself, to others. Why do we take intoxicant? Because of either it's very pleasant. I mean, there was this fellow who ended up in jail, in prison, uh, because he kind of was dealing with drugs, and because he saw drugs were great, and it gives him a high and everything. So he ended up in prison with lots of unpleasant feeling tone. He thought, you know, maybe when I get out, I have to stop, you know, dealing drugs, taking drugs. But he thought, I need to have the same high. What can I do to get the same high, legal high? Then he took up surfing. So just, you know, it's interesting what makes us do certain things. But you might also take drugs because it's so unpleasant that actually taking them, actually eliminate, or actually for a little while is not there so much anymore. So, in a way, what I would uh, encourage you to see this exploration of the Vedana as really kind of like an exploration of what's going on in all its multifaceted aspects. So, kind of as great fun. So, I would say, have fun.